0: Did anybody notice that this was on the stage? Somebody did? Did anybody who doesn't know what this is notice that this was on the stage? Yes. Sorry. Disheartened teenager in the front row. No? Guys, Navy SEALs. Situational awareness. You've got to notice everything. Where are all the exits? Right? There you got to go. you got to know. Just kidding. Not too much Navy SEALs. So... Um, I want to do a few things today. Today the message is called This Fragile Fellowship. We're going to be in the book of 1 Corinthians and probably a few other places. But as you have your Bibles with you, you can turn to, excuse me here, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Hopefully my Bible's going to stay open somewhat. Would anybody like to know what's in the kitchen garbage bag? Somebody? Anybody? Yeah? Yeah, too bad. Today the message is about disappointment. Just kidding. about feeling deceived and betrayed. Now, I'll open it up for you. I didn't want anybody to grab it before. Okay, so what is this? Anybody recognize this? Yeah, Millennium Falcon. Technically, where are the technical specs on this thing? Anybody know? Shout it out if you know, but you don't own it. Yeah, thank you. That, but what, what class is this? First class. First class. <laughs> Have you ever seen the movies? This thing is a dumpster on the inside. They've never cleaned it in all the years. This is a Corellian class a frigate that was modified for smuggling. Anybody? Did the Kessel run in how many parsecs? 12. Twelve, thank you very much. Which still doesn't make sense at all because a parsec is a unit of distance not of speed, so it doesn't matter how fast you do it. I could move a parsec if I had a million years to walk it, but whatever. Anyhow, this is the Millennium Falcon. It's the Lego toy of the Millennium Falcon. And if you're a real nerd, this is from the uh, Force Awakens set with all those little Lego guys that you think are important characters in the movie because they're in the Lego set, but they only appear for like 30 seconds before they get shot or eaten by that monster. Whatever happened there. This is one of the treasure toys of the Belfour family. This thing belongs to my son, Josh. And one of the interesting things about Josh is that if you took this set apart and you mixed it in with the other 10,000 Lego pieces we have at home, he could pull out each one of these pieces and tell you where it went on this Lego set. I've never been able to do that, but he has this thing where he can just be like, I could just pull something out and be like, where's this going? He's like, yeah, that's part of this Lego set, and it goes on the front left-hand corner. and Whatever. So he can... Speaking of Navy SEALs, he could pull this apart and put it back together blindfolded. Anyhow, it's Lego. Lego is this toy that's actually really amazing, and I'm sure many of you, if not all of you, have used it. It's a building toy, and it's held together. Uh, which piece can I pull off? I'll pull off the gun. You can't see it, but it's held together just with all these little circle nubs, right? I'm not. What's the technical term for these? Do anybody know? A stub, okay, I'm going to go with stub. Somebody shouted stub. You can say nub if you want to. You could say bit. And these nubs and stubs and bits go into the openings on the bottom here, which are kind of square shape. And with a little bit of pressure, they fit together, and they stay together pretty good. Hole, right, which is a nice marvel of technology. You can put a round peg in a square hole, and it fits. Totally destroying that saying we say about don't try to put a round peg in a square hole. And Lego heard that and said, oh yeah, and then they did it. But it looks fairly solid, right? I'm holding it, I'm moving it. What would happen if I dropped it? Okay. Anybody who knows it, what would happen even if I stood here and dropped it? How much are you going to give me to drop it? I'm ready to negotiate. I'm taking offers. No, don't do it. Yeah, we know what would happen. Even though it's fairly solid with all these stubs and openings, this thing would blow apart. Even though it looks like a spaceship. It looks like a spaceship that's been shot by TIE fighters and tractor-beamed by... Star Destroyers and flown through Death Stars and came screaming out of an exploding Death Star with some guy whose face looks like a catfish going... Rawr. It survived Star Wars. But the toy is so fragile, even though it holds together more or less and holds together on a desk counter, if I dropped this, it would blow apart. It's uh, It's fragile. Isn't it? The answer is yes. Well, I want to put down the toy for a bit, and I want to talk about my marriage for a bit. So, I didn't... Do you want to just stand up here, turn around and wave for a sec? Yeah, you're on camera. Hi. This is my wife. If you've never met her, her name's Jackie. Most likely the best person ever next to Christ. It's debatable, Okay? But I'm willing to have that debate. I'll say that. Amen? Sorry, hon. (laughs) Okay? (laughs) Anyhow, see, this this is why I couldn't ask for permission. I love her. She's wonderful. I don't think anybody has done me as much earthly, spiritually, and psychological good in my life as she has. And yet... Um, in winter, late spring, we had probably one of the hardest seasons of our marriage. I think that's fair to say. Mostly characterized by the inability to have a conversation that lasted for a few weeks. We, we literally could not talk to each other without one of us being hurt or angry for days and days and days and days. Do you think that's fair? Most, mostly me, probably. But is that fair? Okay, so... It was it was a bad time, and it wasn't huge. I don't think we were in danger of making any permanent decisions, but it was very unpleasant, especially for me. I think it's not, not a lie to say it was definitely one of the top ten most stressful seasons I've ever been through, which is saying something for me. If you know me, that's saying something. Amen? So we're sharing that because, you know, we... More Jackie, but we together realized that we were not in a good spot and we needed to do something about it. And so we went into some phases because we couldn't come together to fix the problem very easily. We went into some phases. So Jackie was seeking the Lord, and specifically, I think she was saying she was really praying that God would show her any blind spots that she was having in the issue. I was really seeking the Lord and just wanting to take spiritual responsibility for what was going on. So coming to the Lord and saying, God, I don't know what's going on. This isn't working, but I want to take responsibility and I want to do whatever you want me to do to solve this problem. The answer is yes. And God revealed a few things about us and to us, and I'm not going to go into all the details now, and Lord willing, maybe we'll share more as time goes on. But one of the big things that Jackie and I came away with was the resolve... To always consider our marriage a fragile thing for the rest of our lives and to never start thinking we have a strong marriage. Now it may seem sound weird to say to to be committed to say our marriage is fragile and it will always be fragile. To make that commitment may seem strange, but if you start thinking we have a strong marriage, what do you tend to do? You start taking it for granted. And you assume that it can endure neglect and beatings and roughness and punishment and distance and arrogance and pride and selfishness and all that stuff. If you think, oh, we've got a strong marriage, you think it's a it's a spaceship. It's a blinking spaceship. It can get shot with phaser beams and half blown up. It will be fine. It's a spaceship. But if you remember that any human souls trying to have a relationship is a lot more like just Lego pegs than you think, wow, this is fragile. It needs to be treated with care and consideration and humility and a willingness to do things different and a desire not to drop this thing. Make sense? And again, Lord willing, we'll share more some other time. Today I want to um, invite you along with me as the, in the journey of being church members, or testing out a church people, or I can't believe I got dragged to church people. Wherever you are, you're here this morning, and so I'm implicitly guessing that you You aren't going to run out of here. You know, some people have run out during the message. They usually mumble their swears quietly instead of too loud, so I don't have to address it from the front. But you're here now, and I want to invite you to join me in believing for the rest of your life that the church is a very fragile thing. Even though it's instituted by God, even though it's upheld by Christ, and even though it's filled with the Spirit, I want to invite you... Especially having seen what's happened in the last few years. To commit to believing that any local church I'm a part of is a very fragile thing. And then to act accordingly. Let's read some scripture together. We're in 1 Corinthians. And I am totally convinced that the book of 1 Corinthians is our book. Okay? For people who live in the West in the 21st century, this is our book. Pretty much every single issue in the church in Corinth are our issues. And so we don't have to wonder too much what God would want us to do as Christians in our crazy situations we're in because it already happened 2,000 years ago and a literal apostle of Jesus writing by the power of the Holy Spirit with the authority of God himself addressed all these issues in there. Issues of sexual radicalism in the church. Issues of consumer, celebrity, pastor culture in the church. Issues of uh, marriage and divorce in the church. Issues of being married to unbelievers in the church. Issues of um, having divisions in communion in the church. Press pause. Did you know the province was very, very close to saying you couldn't come to church without a vaccine? Okay, go read chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians and see what the Apostle Paul would have thought about participating with something like that, okay? Issues of um, the elimination of gender distinctions in the church. Issues of uh, theological liberalism and saying, I'm a Christian even though I don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus. Stuff like that. It's all in there. And so if you would like guidance from God, why don't you just read that book once a week and try to figure out how it applies to you. But, and... There's this one section here. The, the first issue the Apostle Paul, writing by the Spirit, is trying to help the church not blow apart over it, was this that they, the Corinthian church was a, is a Hollywood church, it's a rich church. Um, Corinth was a newer city that was a, a, it was like a New York, it was like a Los Angeles, it was a trading hub with lots of new money and fresh faces. Um, It was like an OC church or whatever, whatever those people who make movies about themselves going around doing dumb things are. That's the kind of church it was. It was all people who would have fit in in Hollywood. And so they took their celebrity culture and they took their wanting to be associated with the most popular people culture and they were applying it to the church. And they were having social status arguments about who you thought the best teacher was and who baptized you. Right, So somebody would say, hey man, I've been baptized by Peter. You know, seeing Jesus glorified Peter, there at the crucifixion Peter, there at the empty tomb Peter, he baptized me. So obviously I'm better than the rest of you because he put me underwater, right? Another one come back, well, 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 well I was baptized by Paul or at least somebody associated with him, so I'm a Paul person. And then there was this other guy there. And so the church was starting to divide over who they thought was the best teacher or who had baptized them. And the crazy thing to just to remember there is that, you know, baptism isn't the kind of thing where the person who baptizes you, like, infuses you with their spirituality or character while you're under the water and changes your life or your soul at all. Right? It doesn't do anything for you. It's like, I could put on a Jets jersey right now. But does that make me an NHL player? Does it make me skate better? Does it change the chances of me being absolutely killed if I ever stepped onto the ice with any of the brothers from church who keep inviting me to come to rec hockey? No, I would still be dead, no matter which jersey I put. It could have the Befuglian name on the back and everything, and I would still be dead. But in their heads, they were thinking, association with popularity equals spirituality, which is not true. And the Apostle Paul is trying to deal with them in many ways, including saying, if you want to think properly about your pastor, you should just think of him as the biggest loser you know, except that Jesus chose him. That's how you solve that problem. Okay, When you think about spiritual leaders, you think about local pastors, just think, this is the biggest loser I know, but the grace of God is on his life, and so I expect grace from God through him. That's how Paul referred to himself. Just think of me as like the mud mover at the farm. I'm just the guy. All I do, I just haul water. Just think of me as the water hauling guy. I'm the water truck. Don't don't think of me as anything special. Think of Jesus as special, but I'm just the nobody. I'm just a nobody. Cho- I'm a chosen nobody. Don't split the church over me, says Paul. Anyhow, as he's teaching through this in verse 16 and 17, he says something radically radical, which I think every Christian should hear and maybe tremble a little bit. He says to the Corinthians, he says, do you not know that you are God's temple and that the Holy Spirit dwells in you? That's amazing. Okay, Anybody here know that? Are you a Christian? Like you believe in Jesus, raised from the dead, died for your sins, going to live with heaven? Don't you know that you are the temple of God? And in the Greek there, and your Bible should have a little note to let you know, that you there is a you plural. Okay, So in English, we have this problem here where you can mean you, one person, or you can mean you, everybody, like unlimited number of people. Tracking with me? In the southern states, they fix that by saying y'all. Right? Y'all means you, all you. you. I say you, John, are nodding your head. We know that's John. But I say y'all's nodding your head. We, We think everybody's doing it. So this is a y'all, not a you. Do y'all not know that you're the temple of God? And that God's spirit dwells in y'all? Do you know that? That the creator God of the universe has built you together like his holy dwelling place on the earth, and that his own Holy Spirit is in your midst? Like right now, he's invisible, so don't look. Right now, the Spirit of God is dwelling here, like this is his home when the Christians get together. He says, ha, my mobile home has gathered together, and this, I'm going to go to the lake now and dwell in my mobile home, which is the church, and this is my people, and this is my home. Don't you know that this is capital T-R-U-E true? Which you should say yes. And then the next thing he says is, if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. In the context of the church splitting over popular teachers, the Holy Spirit of God says, if Anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and y'all are that temple. Okay, psychological moment. The knee jerk reaction of fallen and being restored Christians is to say, I'm the exception, right? No, no, I'm the special one, and if I did destroy God's temple, it would be okay. Right, Daddy? (laughs) No, 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 if you're his children, you believe what he says. That's how it works, right? If you believe that God's your dad, when he says, if you touch my gun, I'll shoot you with it, you don't touch the gun. Right? So here are some observable facts from this encouragement and just in case you know we really want to resist this truth let's just remember that the next thing he says in verse 18 is let no one deceive himself okay so paul is brilliant writing by the holy spirit he knows when i say something this strong people are going to want to deceive themselves about this and so the next thing he says is don't deceive yourselves he's like anticipating them not listening pause would you like to do an informative bible study Go on to Bible Gateway or Blue Letter Bible or whatever you use and just search for the phrase, don't be deceived, and see all the things that the Bible tells you not to be deceived about, and then check to see if you are deceived about it. Does that make sense? Because if the Bible says, like, in particular, don't be deceived about this, Christians, we would want to be people not deceived about those things. Does that make sense? Yeah. Resume message. So, factoid number 1 and the thing that proves my point for this morning is that if God has to warn his people not to destroy his temple, then it is possible to destroy the temple of God as united believers joined together in the Holy Spirit. Okay, so we just I think I just need to like say that out loud. If we're warned not to do something, then the assumption is that we can do it. Right? When God says to Adam and Eve, see this tree, He says it to Adam, don't eat this fruit. He said it because he could eat the fruit. God never said to Adam, Adam, don't jump into the sun. It will burn you. I know the sun's bright. It's very attractive, especially in summer when you live in Manitoba and it's like dark and cold for most of your lives and you love the sun and it's just going to feel like the sun's the best thing ever. You're going to want to jump into the sun. Don't do it. You'll die. He doesn't have to warn us not to try to jump into the sun because you literally have to be Elon Musk in order to be able to even try something like that. He warns us not to do what we can do. True fact. And he warns his children for all the age of the church until Christ returns. Guys, whatever you do, don't Destroy God's Spirit United Temple. And he adds one of the most serious warnings possible about it, saying, I don't know what God will destroy him means. Does it mean like destroy like uber spanking? Does it mean your life falls apart? Does it mean you'll die suddenly? Does it mean that you'll be handed over into unbelief so that thinking you're wise, you'll end up walking away from God and be lost for eternity? I don't know. I don't want to find out. I don't want you to find out. Internet, I don't want you to find out. The point isn't find out. The point is don't find out. The point for the Corinthians was, hey guys, you're walking a line here. And you've got lots of time to walk away from the line. Don't find out what happens. Amen? Has anybody ever, like, touched the wet paint before? Yeah, it's a bad instinct in us. I'm going to touch that wet paint. I could so easily... I'm going to say it out loud so you won't do it, but if I put a don't touch button on the table on the way out of here, how many fingerprints would be on there before the church is emptied out after service? All of them. <laughs> I'd be able to incriminate you for crimes around the world just by lifting the little C. I watched too many crime shows. Just lift the fingerprint off, rob the bank, put the fingerprint on the car, the getaway car that I let the police find. De-de-de. How did, how did I ever become a pastor? If, I don't think you can be a good pastor unless you understand the human heart and evil. Yeah, so, oh Lord, where do I go from here? The big, the big point is this. The fellowship of Calvary Chapel, even on our best day, is very fragile. Amen. Of Calvary Church, probably even more so. I was uh, talking with a friend of mine who lives in another province that I'm not even going to say, so you can't figure it out. And he, he was just lamenting that his church is pretty much imploding over COVID stuff. The board wanted to do kind of what we've been doing, which is um, at Calvary Church, what we've been trying to do with all the COVID regulations, we've called I've called militant neutrality, meaning. We fight to not care as much as possible about what the rules are while keeping them so that we cannot have responses to the rules replace Jesus as the focus of what we're trying to do. Success or failure, if I've done a good job or a bad job, I don't know, we'll all find out at the final judgment. At the very least, there might be a whole hour of God just telling me all the things I did wrong in the last hour and a half, and I'll just say, I plead the blood for every single word. I plead the blood. I plead the blood. I plead the blood. Just let the blood cover this. That's what we've been trying to do. Militant neutrality. As much as we can, keeping the rules while having people who don't like the rules not feel like they've lost their home. And people who do want to keep the rules not feeling like they're being stupid for wanting to do it. That's what we've been trying to do. And I think he was trying to do that and other people at the church thought they should be doing more to resist the government and now he's moving two provinces away from all the problems. Churches are incredibly fragile and can be even destroyed just this stuff as simple as like slander and gossip and back chat and talking. Like how many churches are just wrecked by people talking? I don't know. And I'm not saying this to attack anybody or even apply verse seven, um, verse sorry, 17 of chapter 3 to anybody. I don't have any animosity or accusation in my heart against anybody. I think I'm just sharing publicly with you that I believe that Calvary Chapel will be tremendously vulnerable to division for the rest of its existence until Christ returns. It's fragile, and because of that, we have a debt, I think, to the Lord and to each other to be tender, thoughtful, patient, slow to anger, quick to love, quick to ask and receive forgiveness, and above all things, to want to please the Lord Jesus with our conduct amongst other believers, and to avoid as much as possible the sensation of having God fire up the barbecue because of our behavior. Amen. Now, I'll say, just as an encouragement, that after Jackie and I decided that we were going to treat our relationship like the most fragile thing in our lives, we're treating it kind of like, from my perspective, like a special needs child. Which I have a little bit of little bit of. Ex- There's a fly in here. Does somebody want to just pray the death of this fly while I pray? It's only spirit fit people that get unity around here, Mister Fly. Is that too harsh? Anyhow. We treat it like a special needs son. Like we have a child with, with Down syndrome. He's wonderful. He's just off the charts. And he's a super blessing. You cannot turn your back on him. Right? You cannot turn your back on him. He has this sixth sense. He knows when no one's watching. And he has a list in his soul of all the things he's not supposed to do when someone's watching. And he starts doing them as soon as he thinks nobody's watching. Right? It's a superpower. Well, maybe it's... I don't know if it's on the good side. but (laughs) And if you go swimming with him, as soon as his lips come close to the water, he starts inhaling. So no matter how many life jackets you put on him, he's always at a risk of drowning because he will just inhale the water near him for fun. Ah, for fun? What will this do? (gasps) You know, this is... And then... Something about his brain, and this is common for, for many people with the same condition, they like strong sensations, good or bad. So even painful things he will be like, Oh, that was painful, I should do it again. Oh, that was painful, I should do it again. Oh, that was painful, I should do it again. And so you can't you can't stop caring about him. Right? And when you're vigilant, it's wonderful. And so we're experiencing this too. We are both hyper-vigilant for our relationship, and it's probably been the best month of our lives because we're hypervigilant f- over a fragile thing. So, oh man, I want to give us a couple of practical things that we can be on the lookout for, okay? Thanks for bearing with me. Number one, I I think for me, for sure, and for all of us, we can watch out for this consumer Christianity culture. Do you guys know what this means? Have you ever heard that phrase before, consumer Christianity? It's where you kind of evaluate your Christian life by what you're consuming, right? I'm a great Christian because I watch the best sermons and I listen to the newest music and I've got a smoking hot church and I'm taking in the best stuff. Ergo, I'm living my best Christian life. And then the goal of being a Christian is to find out what the best kind of Christianity is and find out how you can consume it. Does that make sense? The problem with that is that you end up having a completely evaluative relationship with churches and Christians. Do you make me feel like I'm top dog? Does this service make me feel like I'm top dog? Does this, does this sermon make me feel like, yeah, I'm an awesome Christian, or does it not? Does it feel like I'm on the cutting edge of things, or I'm not? And you end up with this kind of selfish, evaluate, evaluative, some might say critical. <laughs> You've taken everything through the lens of being critical for how it makes me feel in some kind of, maybe not even thought about structure of popularity and success in the church. And I think it might even make it very difficult to walk with the Christ who was the son of a social outcast virgin at the bottom rungs of their society, a carpenter who Isaiah said about him, there was no beauty or majesty about him that we should recognize that he's the Christ. God designed Jesus to not look attractive so that people wouldn't look at him and think, whoa, there's Brad Pitt or whoever the handsome devil is these days that gets people into the movie theaters. Jesus was designed to be unattractive and foolish so that it was just people who were born again by the living God who saw that this is the Christ, the Son of God, and the King of the Kingdom of Heaven, and I will give my life to Him, come what it may, whatever the cost. And so I think we need this active pushing against consumer Christianity. And partly what we can do to do that is just to foster a sense of, I'm here to serve. I'm here to serve. Somebody says, How is church today? You say, it stunk. Because I sang and I listened and I didn't love anybody. Nobody wanted prayer. I didn't get to encourage anybody. I hung out the doors like a a weirdo trying to catch somebody to just love them. And it didn't work out. It was terrible. I did no good at church this morning. Anybody talk like that? (laughs) Jackie does. She's not here to listen to me. She's praying for words and encouragements for other people. Sometimes. Sometimes. Imagine you were at a church that stunk if all you did was receive. Amen? That's one thing we can do. So we can fight against it, push against it. I'm not saying you can't enjoy stuff, but it's good to remember that you actually aren't in relationship with anybody you consume over the internet. You don't know them, they don't know you, they literally don't love you, God can love you, and he can serve you through the stuff, but they don't love you. I love you. Oh. I know it comes out weird. Can I just share with something about church life with you? I don't even know how long I've been up here. Until I got saved, my entire world was going to school and maybe three friends. I didn't know anybody. I didn't hang out with anybody. I wasn't involved in any sports. I had maybe three friends, and we played video games, which means we didn't actually have living relationships with each other. My friends were just the people who played Street Fighter Mortal Kombat with me. End of story. And then you get saved and you, come and you come to church and you get more hugs on one Sunday than you've gotten in your entire life from people that don't have the same last name as you. It was traumatic. But the fact that I can endure two services saying hello to hundreds of people is a miracle of the living God. Because I would rather watch TV, my old self. Just alone, introverted. Just, just give, me, give me the video games, whatever. But that's, that's the difference. I was so lonely. And willing literally to get addicted to anything to try to fill up the gap. We need each other. Which is kind of why I joke about poor you. I'm the one who loves you it's because I've only started learning how to do this in the last few years. But I, I'm, I'm excited for it. We really need each other, and I think I think oh, I'm not even going to get to half my points. I'm really sorry. I want to encourage us to give up on the desire to go to a church that's really great for us. Do you know what I mean by that? Does anybody want? I want to go to a church that's just so great for me. Sing the songs I love, the messages I love, all that stuff. And the reason I want to encourage you to do that is because that's not what I do. I've been, God's been talking to me about this. I've been thinking about this. Calvary Chapel is not the church of my dreams. Hello, can we still be friends? Calvary Chapel is not... If I sat down and be like, what kind of preaching do I want to hear? What kind of songs do I want? And what kind of spending the mornings the way it just that would just be perfect for me that would just like press every single one of my buttons and float my boat and get my airplane off the ground and any other metaphor you want that would be just the greatest church for me it is not calvary church calvary church is what happens when i go what's best for you guys in the lord what do i think jesus thinks you would be blessed by if I try to forget about myself. like This is not the message that I am impressed with. I think it's what we need to hear together. Amen? All my $5 college words are on the shelf. And I I think we can all do this. We can say, I'm called by God to make this home. I'm not going to evaluate if this is my favorite church. I'm going to come to make other people's lives better. And then you know what happens? The other people actually make your life better too. And you find out that church is more than just a message that made you think, wow, he waved his arms a lot. Must have been good. So I'm going to invite the team to come up here. I I, I missed out on half the message. I'm so sorry. And then I'm not speaking again for a few more weeks. But maybe this is enough for today. But um, you know what we should do? We should have a repentance opportunity Did you know that Jesus, when he went around telling people about the kingdom of God, he said, repent and believe. And repenting is what you do when you realize you've been doing something wrong in God's sight and you say sorry. You say, whoops, sorry, I was doing something wrong. I've been sinning against you. I'd like to change. That's repentance. And sometimes I think as Christians we can leave ourselves stuck in the boot cast of unbelief by never actually getting around to saying, I'm sorry, God, for what I've been doing and thinking. And we try to change without getting the boot cast off. Why can't I run? Well, you need to go tell your dad what you've been doing so that he can set you free. All freedom comes from God. All freedom comes through Jesus. All freedom comes by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we lay access to freedom by confession of sin and repentance. And receiving his love and forgiveness. And we can do that this morning because he's here. Amen? You can tell God anything you want to today, and he's already here listening. And you can say sorry for anything. It doesn't have to do anything with this message. If you say, God, I feel like I'm doing something wrong. I feel bad because I've been doing this or thinking this. Today he can forgive you. And if it doesn't feel like you're getting free, then you grab a brother or a sister and you tell them what you want to say sorry to God for, and they pray with you and you fight for it until your heart knows the freedom that is actually there. And we have this freedom because Jesus died for our sins. Guys, in worship today, I was bawling my eyes out because... If you need to sit down, there's a chair right there. I was bawling my eyes out because I've been thinking about the last year and all the evils in the world that have happened in the last year, including the stuff with the residential schools, which is just an atrocity. And I've been thinking to myself, we as Christians, we do not get just how evil the world is. It is a slaughterhouse out there. And the residential school travesties and all the evils from the forced assimilation to the abuses that happened in secret. That, guys, that's not abnormal. That's normal life. The last hundred years, World War II, the gulags, the imperial Japanese torturing of citizens and cannibalism of people, the Nazi Germany, and even the Allies firebombing civilians, those are just the big things, not to do with all just the little things that we've endured. It's an evil world, and it's so evil that only the death of God could do anything about it. The death of God. God had to come down here and die himself to do something about it. But he came back from the dead with resurrection life and all authority in heaven and earth and the right to forgive anybody everything and to transform them with new life from the inside out to make them from evil sinners into people who reflect the living image of God even in the world and are empowered by the Holy Spirit to do what they could never do on their own. This is who you are. If we believe. So let's believe. Anything you want to confess to God today, you can and you'll be forgiven. If you believe that Jesus died and rose from the grave. And now I've gone too long, but I'm going to pray. Um, you can sit or stand, because if you stand, you've got to wear your mask. It's so crazy. Let's pray. And if you just want to start talking to God now, you can. You don't have to listen to me. Father God, we give you your church, and obviously, Lord, if you would so sharply warn us against destroying your temple, then obviously you treasure your church. We are so indescribably precious to you, and our unity is so worthwhile to you that you warn us desperately to protect it, to consider it fragile. And so, God, in the name of Jesus, would you forgive me where I have participated with hurting your church? I've been rough. I've been too sharp. I haven't been gentle enough or loving enough. I've been concerned about myself. I've been acting out of fear. Would you forgive me by the shed blood of Jesus? And for anybody else who is bringing any concern to you, God, would you forgive us by the shed blood of God, the Son of God poured out for us? And Lord, at the same time, by the resurrection of Jesus, would you give us a new life, different and better than anything we've experienced before, no matter what the past. May the past stay in the grave, and may the future come out of the grave by the power of the Spirit to do something the world, or at least us, have not seen before. So that we together would be able to say, truly God is in our midst, and I ask this for your glory. Amen.